You're listening to a talk from Grace Church Barrow, a local church community for Holbeck, Ruse and beyond. Our current teaching series is called Know Your God, Discovering God as Trinity. This is the first message in the series called Introducing the Trinity. As I said, we're thinking about Know Your God, uh, what it means that God is Trinity. And if you've watched our little video that we put on Facebook this week to kind of promo this series, you'll know that we... um, that I, like, I used this quote from a guy called A.W. Tozer, a Christian writer and thinker, and he said this a number of years ago now, decades ago, what we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, actually? If you've got a big view of God in your mind then actually that's going to change the way you live in a way that if you have a very small view of God in your mind, it isn't. Who God is, uh, what he is worth, what he deserves is absolutely going to affect the way you live. But also the character of God, if God is, if, if God is kind, if God is good, then that's going to change your life one way. Whereas if God is, is mean and vindictive, then that's going to influence you in a different way, isn't it? It matters who God is. And we said earlier that more people are Googling prayer at the moment than ever before. There's a hunger to tune into religious events and services and church, church meetings online as we go through this crisis. But who is this God? Uh, maybe you're listening to this and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You're not, don't usually go to church. And you're here actually because you, your interest, your interest has been piqued. Who is this God? that people talk about. We use those three letters, G-O-D, God, and yet we can mean all manner of things. Um, and so in this, in this teaching series that we're thinking about the next few weeks, we're thinking about what it means, what do Christians believe about God? Just so you know where we're going today, we're thinking about the one God who is three. And then the next three weeks, we're going to be thinking about each member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then in the fifth week, we're going to think about what it means to live a life enjoying the Trinity. So that's just a heads up. We're not trying to say everything there is to say, because that would be impossible. But equally, we're not trying to say everything there is to say each week. We're trying to do this over a series of weeks. Um, And so we'll spend more time thinking about each member of the Trinity, what it means that God is Father, Son and Spirit over the next four weeks. Um, Just so you know where we're going. But let me just take a step back and ask a bigger question. A broader question, how can we know what God is like? I wonder what you think God is like and what do you base that upon? Um, how can we know what God is like? I think it's, it's our instinct, isn't it, to kind of project our own ideas and our own thoughts about God onto this kind of vague idea of God. And we kind of instinctively think, well, I'm like this. I think this is important. Therefore, God must be like that, right? And maybe you've heard people say, well, for me, I like to think of God like this, dot, dot, dot. And they say what, what we think. But there's a danger there, isn't there? There's a danger that we form a view of God that's essentially a God in our image. Um, humanity is actually made in the image of God. But sometimes we think about it the other way around. We almost project our image onto God. Uh, how can we know what God is like then? Now, the Bible, as you read through the Bible, you see there's a huge difference between God and, and his creatures. 
uh, all of us, whether we're humans or, or whether we're animals or whether we're plants, we are, we are God's creation. And there's a massive difference between who God is and who his creation is. We are completely dependent upon him. He's the one who made us. And sometimes we forget that the, the significance of that distinction. Sometimes we kind of think, well, God's just a bigger version of me. Okay, yeah, he's bigger than me, but he's just kind of like a bigger version of me. Well, actually, no. The Bible says God is of completely different kind of order to us, different kind of thing to us. If you, if you like, you could have two columns on a piece of paper and one would say um, uncreated and the other column would say created. And everything in life is in that created column. I'm in that column, you're in that column, the world around us is in that column. There's only one thing that isn't in that column. In the, and, that's, and that's God. God's in the uncreated column. He is the creator. And so he's completely different to us. And, and therefore there should be a real humility that flows out of that. God isn't just this kind of vague personal force a kind of a fairy in the sky that we turn to when we want. In the Bible, God is the creator. He's completely different to us. And so to know God means that we need God to reveal himself. Now, we kind of get this principle, don't we, in in life? You know, if you're trying to get to know someone, then you need to let them tell you more about themselves. You need to see what they're like. You need to see what they do. You need to listen to them. And that's the same when it comes to God. We are completely dependent upon God to reveal himself. Um, Without without that, we would just be fumbling in the dark. We would be be creatures trying to guess at what God is like, using our own kind of human thoughts and constructs in our heads. We need God to reveal himself. And at the heart of the Christian faith is that God has done exactly that. And traditionally, Christians have thought of, thought of God's revelation, his, him revealing himself, is him introducing himself in two ways. He, he reveals himself in creation. Uh, in, in other words, as we look at the world around us, the Bible says that we can see God's glory. We can see his majesty. We can see his beauty. We can see his splendor. We can see his power. The Bible makes very clear that as we gaze at creation, we, it does tell us something about God, what God is like. And yet the Bible also uh, tells us that actually in, in his written word, the Bible, we get special revelation. We get God speaking to us, communicating in a way that is different to just looking at the world around us. Imagine the difference between um, you seeing what someone has made and you having a conversation with that person. Well, when you see what the person has made, yes, it tells you something about that person, about what they're like, uh, about their power, about their skill, about their beauty. But actually, it's when you speak to that person or when you read something that person has written, then that's when you really get to know them. It's personal communication. And so as we think about who God is like, we want to make sure that that version of who God is, is rooted in the Bible. It's rooted in that special revelation, this book that isn't just a human book, but a book that has been given to us throughout uh, history from God, that the Holy Spirit has breathed out. And so that's where we come to this idea of God as Trinity. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of that word Trinity. Just think for yourself, what is that a word you've used often? Is it a word you'd be able to explain to someone? I think it's a word that conjures up different um, feelings for different Christians. Sometimes Christians are embarrassed about it. 
the idea of God being three and one, well, that's just confusing. How on earth can I explain that to someone else? Maybe we're not sure that actually this is what the Bible teaches. Maybe we think, well, maybe this is just something that, you know, Christians came up with hundreds of years later because they were a bit bored. And actually, is this really a biblical idea? Or maybe you think, well, yes, I know this is what we're meant to believe, but I don't really understand it. I don't really see what difference it makes. And I'm just going to kind of tuck it away mentally in a drawer over here and just park it there and not really deal with it. God is Trinity. What do you think? Well, the idea behind this series is to unpack this and to show why it really matters. In a way, in a way, the word Trinity isn't a word that's in the Bible. You don't get that word Trinity there. It's actually a word that comes from Latin. But essentially what the word Trinity is trying to say is to try and emphasize a, a threeness, tri, just like you get triangle, um, three sides, but also unity. Um, so a three in one unity. And the, even though the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, what we're going to see hopefully is that actually this idea of God being three and one is completely in the Bible, God's oneness and God's threeness. Um, I don't know if you um, are local as you're watching this, but here in Barrow, basically wherever you look, you can see the the shipyard, the BAE shipyard building, um, and it's there wherever you look. And every every time you kind of have a view of the coast or of the town or of the hills, you can pretty much see the shipyard there and it's kind of a it's kind of assumed we it's just there we're not necessarily looking at it but it's there and as you read through the bible what what happens is you basically realize the trinity is a little bit like that it's it's always there it's not necessarily that um the point is it's it's explained in all its fullness in lots of different places but it's always there if not in the foreground there in the background then actually we can't really understand the view of life without it uh, God is is one and God is three. So just for this morning, as we kind of introduce this idea, we're going to think about those two ideas, God being one and God being three. What do we mean by that? So let's talk about first about God being one. Um, and as we read, as we particularly dive into the Old Testament part of the Bible, we see again and again it repeated that God is one. There is only one God. Do you remember that those verses from Psalm 96 that we just read earlier? They emphasize that actually the Lord is God and everything else is, is an idol. There are no other gods. Now, we kind of think, well, that's not a very political, politically correct thing to say, is it? But actually, it wasn't a politically correct thing to say when the Bible was written. The Middle Eastern culture um, was a culture in which each nation, each people group would have their own gods. And people were used to the idea of gods competing against each other. And yet into that, into that culture, into that situation, the biblical claim, the claim of the Old Testament was that God is one. There is one God. There aren't multi-gods. There is one God. Um, here we've got some verses from Isaiah 45. Have a look at those. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you so that people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. And at the heart of that claim is that God has created everything. And so everything else is his creatures. Uh, it's, it's either God or it's his creatures. There's no kind of third category of some other gods. 
Anything else is just an idol, something that we've made and are treating like a God, but it's, it's not actually God. God is one. There is only one God. Here's some more verses from Deuteronomy. These verses um, are at the heart of um, Israel's faith. They were called to kind of recall these verses and say them out loud and write them down on their on their foreheads and in, on bracelets and on their walls. Hear, O Israel, listen to this, in other words, you know, pull your ears back. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. See the connection there between God being one and therefore God being worthy of all of us. Because God is one, because there is one God, he deserves all of our hearts and all of our soul and all of our strength. If there was more than one God, then he wouldn't deserve all our our heart and all our soul and all our strength. But the Lord is one. Again and again, this is emphasized in the Old Testament. And actually it's emphasized in the New Testament as well. So Jesus himself in Mark's gospel quotes that part of Deuteronomy that we've just read. He's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says this, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In other words, the New Testament is not trying to say something different. The New Testament doesn't say God's no longer one. There's no longer one God. There is one God. There's not multi-gods. And I just want to pull out two kind of practical applications of this, of this first point for us. Two kind of take-home points that hopefully help us to start seeing how this should affect us. If God is one, that therefore God deserves all of us. If God is one, therefore God deserves all of us. I wonder if you've ever had two part-time jobs or maybe three part-time jobs or four part-time jobs. Maybe there was a time in your life where you were trying to balance this job and that job and effectively you had two bosses. And having two bosses is really complicated because basically you've got two different people to please and two different people competing on your time. Maybe there's a parallel here with children, I don't know. Um... But basically, the point here is that there is one God and therefore God deserves all of us. It's not that there are multiple bosses in our lives. There's not multiple things for us to worship. And so God deserves every part of our lives. There's that, always that danger in Christianity that we kind of compartmentalize our lives as if some bits were for God and some bits were for us or some bits were for someone else or for something else. But if God is one, if there is one God then God deserves all of us. Maybe that's a particular challenge for us um, at the moment. Do we compartmentalize our faith? Do we compartmentalize our Christianity? God is worthy of all of us, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our time, all of our energy. We want to worship him. But here's the second kind of take home point that I think flows out of knowing that there is one God Therefore, God is undivided. God is undivided. Now, let me, let me tell you a story about something that sometimes happens in our house. Um, so um, the kids want to watch something on TV. And so they go to mummy and they say, mummy, can we watch something on TV, please? And mummy says, well, no, you can't watch something on TV yet because you need to tidy the room. Um, 
And so patter, 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 uh, there's footsteps outside Daddy's study and suddenly there's a knock on the door and, uh, Daddy, can we watch something on TV, please? And I don't know what they're expecting. Maybe, maybe I'm good cop and Mummy's bad cop. Um, but basically it's that idea that actually um, different parents perhaps have different priorities or whatever and we kind of and the parents can and the children can kind of divide and conquer can't they 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 know who to go to to get the treat that they want but of course if daddy's being good he says no do what mummy says um but sometimes i wonder when we think about god as trinity father son and spirit maybe sometimes we are guilty of splitting god up so perhaps we have our favorites so we 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 really like the the son or we really like the spirit or we really like the father and maybe even we kind of can be sometimes tempted to almost play God off, play God off himself. So um, the father is, is scary. And so instead I come to the son because if I come to Jesus, I don't feel as guilty or, or the spirit is, is the spirit is what I really need right now. I don't need the father. I don't need the son. And we kind of divide God up or act like they kind of have different personalities or a different plan for us. But scripture says, unavoidably that God is one there is one God even as we think about Trinity, which we will do in a moment we can't divide God up in the sense of him having different personalities different plans different uh, attributes different kind of um, desires for us God is undividable he is one so two ways there that we can perhaps kind of start to see how this might play out the Lord is one God is one therefore he deserves all of us and therefore God is undivided. But God isn't just one. Um, that's not the sum of all that the Bible says about God. Because in the Bible there is this clear sense, particularly as we come to the New Testament, that God is in some sense three. Now we've got to be really careful here. And Christians throughout history have basically tried to articulate this in the most careful way that they can, in the, mo- in the way that is most faithful to scriptures they can. We're not talking about three gods, but as we read the Bible and particularly read the New Testament, there is a threeness to God. Um, There is one what, if you like, there is only one God. He's the what, but there is there's three who's to that one what. Does that make sense? There is a father, there is a son and there is a Holy Spirit. Now we're going to go into each of these over the next few weeks. So again, I'm not trying to say everything there is to say here, but let me just pull out two verses where we get this kind of beginning to be articulated in the New Testament. So Jesus, as he gives his disciples the, what's called the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, I wonder if you ever notice what he says. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, and name there is singular, just one name, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, baptize people in in the name of a God who is three. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one name, but three persons, if you like. That's Matthew 28. In the book of Ephesians, a kind of a similar verse that kind of gives us an insight to there being a threeness to God. This is Paul talking about how the fact that we now can approach God because of what Jesus has done. Paul says, for through him, and he's talking about Christ Jesus there, 
we both, that's the Jew and the Gentile, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So see the way there you've got a threeness to God again. For through Christ, the Son, we have access to the Father by the Spirit. So there's a threeness to how God works. Now, I just want us to rewind a little bit and to think, well, how, how's, this, how's this all work? So in the Old Testament, it is clearly emphasized that there is one God. God is one. There is only one God. There's not multiple gods. We've just been talking about that. But as you go through the Old Testament, there are a number of promises and predictions about the future. God gives many different promises. If you've done a Bible overview, you'll, you'll, you'll have seen this. God promises that there one day will be another great prophet like Moses. Promises in Isaiah, there'll be a suffering servant who will come and be punished for sin. There's promises about God himself coming to the earth, God coming to his temple. And there's promises about a Messiah, a king. And there's also promises about the spirit of God being poured out on all people. All sorts of different promises. I mean, they're, they're just five. But what we find as we then read the New Testament is that all those promises are kind of, are kind of brought together in the fact that God reveals himself as Father, Son and Spirit. Uh, at the cross, in the person of Jesus, sorry, in the person of Jesus, God has come to earth, God the Son. We'll be thinking about that in the next few weeks. And then at Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out. And, and so we see that all those promises about a Messiah, about a suffering servant, about the Spirit being given, actually they, they, are, they reach their fulfillment in this idea that God has now making himself known as Father, Son, and Spirit. One God but who is Father, Son, and Spirit. Let me state something that I hope is really helpful and really clear. It's not that God has changed. It's not that the God of the Old Testament is a different God and God suddenly had a personality change, but that now as we come to the New Testament, God has revealed more about himself. We often talk about how the Bible is a, Bible, is a book that kind of progresses that unfolds more and more as you come into the new testament it's not that god has changed but that god has revealed more about himself but the interesting thing is then as we read back into the old testament when we read back knowing what we know in the new testament knowing that god the son and about god the spirit and about god the father we then see some little hints of that in the old testament Hints that perhaps we wouldn't have spotted if we didn't have the New Testament. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 1, when God makes humanity, he uses some really interesting language. He says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Notice the, the plural there. A little hint that God isn't just, it's not as simple as saying God is one, that there is a, there is a, a threeness to God. Then the great promise in Isaiah 9 that's often read at carol services, the promise of a child, a saviour who's going to be born. What was that child called? Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So again, the expectation, even within the Old Testament, that uh, there is more to God than just simply oneness. That oneness has a threeness to it. Again, Isaiah chapter 6 I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send 
and who will go for us? See the plural there. God is an us. There's an usness, if you if you like, to God. God hasn't changed, and this is a big point that I really love to make clear that the Old Testament God isn't a different God. God hasn't changed, but God has revealed more about Himself: Father, Son, and Spirits. Um, we don't have to kind of look in the Old Testament and start looking everywhere for this Trinity. I don't think that's the the point. But the point is we do get hints of it in the Old Testament. The point is it's much clearer in the New Testament now that God has revealed himself as Father, Son and Spirit. So where does this all leave us? Well, this is how Christians have historically articulated this, how they have put it into words. There is one God, but three eternally existing persons. Persons there doesn't kind of mean people. It's not that there's kind of like a quite like a family but there's, there's three distinct uh, persons to this one God. Um, it's not that there's three gods. It's also not that there's one God that wears three different masks. Sometimes Christians have, have taught that throughout history, that it's like there's one God and he kind of puts one mask on, the mask of the Father, takes that off, puts the mask of the Son on, then puts the mask of the Spirit on. Well, no, that's not what Scripture says. It says that these three persons have always existed and that they are in some sense distinct. And then lastly, it's not the case that you've got one God who changes between three different forms. So often when Christians try and illustrate the Trinity, they they talk about things like water and how water is ice, steam and liquid. It can be three things, but that is a bad illustration because the point of those, the point of water is that water can't be those three things at once. Whereas the Bible tells us God is those three things all the time. He doesn't change forms. And that's why often our human illustrations about the Trinity always fall short. Um, so what does it mean that God is three? What's, what's a kind of an application? What's a take home for us in light of that? Well, I wonder if this is one way we need to kind of Um, reflect upon this it means that God is not dependent upon us for love or life the fact that God is three persons means God isn't dependent upon us for love or life let me just explain what I mean by that a little bit more father son and spirit the bible says have existed from all eternity there's always been father son and spirit it's not that this is a new testament idea that something suddenly changed Um, now you take a a popular bible verse like this from one john that says that god is love now we often we like this verse we like um, how it reminds us that god at his heart is is love but you think about that for a moment what does it mean that god is love well hang on we kind of know don't we we know that god loves um, he loves the world. John three sixteen tells us, for God so loved the world, he loves us. And so we understand God loving. We understand that God loves. But what does it mean that God is love? Because hang on, what about before the world was created? Imagine that. Imagine pressing rewind to before the world was made. How can God be love when he's got no one to love? Before the world was made, before we were created, then in what sense was God love? He can't be love if there's nothing to love. 
And and this is where actually you, you start to see a real difference between Christianity and the gods of other religions. For example, um, in, in Islam, God is one, but there is no threeness to God. And so before God made the world, God wasn't love in, in Islam. But this is where Christianity is different. Because the whole point is that before the world was made, God was one God, three persons. And so the father loved the son. The son loved the spirit. The spirit loved the father. The spirit loved the, the son. There was this, this, this sharing of love and relationship even before the world was made. God is love. It's not just that he became loving when he made us. But from eternity past, the God of Christianity is, a, is, you might say, a community, if you like, of love. Does that kind of make sense? Um, and so when the world is made, it's not that God needs the world to be loving. It's not that um, he, he needs to make us in order to, to, to be loving. But rather, it's the case that actually he is already love. And out of that love, that love that pre-exists, he then loves us. He makes the world and shares that love. And so there's a real difference to know God as Trinity, because it means that God can be a source of life and a source of love, even from before him making the world. There was always love. There was always life in God. I love this quote by a, a pastor called Tim Keller. And, and really, once you kind of think about it a couple of times, it kind of blows your mind. God created the world not to get love or joy, but to give it. God created the world not to get love or joy, but to give it. You see, if God is simply one and doesn't have three persons, then God has to create the world to get love. But in the Trinity, God is love. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, a loving community of love. One God, three persons. And then God creates the world to share that love, to give that love. And that is mind-blowing, isn't it? That suddenly we get to share in the eternal love of the Trinity. And we'll see that over the next couple of weeks, more of what that means in practice. But I hope that perhaps this has just excited you a little bit about actually knowing God as Father, Son, and Spirit is, is actually really helpful. If this is who God has revealed himself as, then it's really important that we know God in that way, that we know him as Father, Son, and Spirit. Yes, there is one God, but actually when we understand the richness of the Trinity, then we are knowing God as he's revealed himself. We're knowing God on his terms. And I hope that this kind of excites you for this series. Um, let me just end with this. Um, I don't know if you've you ever used the, the term magnify much. Often when we use the term magnify, we can mean one of two things. We can mean it in the sense of the magnifying glass. When we're, and what are we doing with the magnifying glass? We're making something small seem big. That's what you're doing when you're a little kid looking at an ant with a magnifying glass. You're making something small seem big. You're magnifying it. But you can also use it in another sense. You can use it as you would use a telescope to magnify the stars and you're, what you're doing is that something amazing, something huge is suddenly becoming clearer to you and you're seeing its bigness all the more, actually. Now, when we look at the Trinity, the temptation is this is just a dry 
academic topic and it's you might get the impression the way some people speak about it is that we're kind of almost like taking a magnifying glass to God and we're kind of looking at it and analyzing God what I want us to see is that actually it's the complete opposite it's the telescope God in all his glory his trinitarian goodness that community of love that's existed from before creation began we are getting to glimpse that as God has revealed himself it's like we're getting our telescopes out and the right response, therefore, is, is worship. This isn't a subject just to kind of to know about in our heads. It's a subject to really um, cause our hearts to wonder and worship at who God is. And I hope perhaps we've just got a taster for that this, um, this, this morning. And I'm going to leave us with a little bit of a challenge. Going to give us a challenge each week in light of what we've thought, thought about and here's this, here's this week's challenge, and we'll try and put this on Facebook separately just to remind people, but I wonder if you could take some time each day this week to praise God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So not just praising God in a kind of an abstract, general sense, but praising God as those three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, each of them working together, each of them undividable, but each of them nonetheless distinct. And so also when you read the Bible this week, ask yourself, is this talking about God's oneness or is this talking about God the Father or God the Son or God the Spirit? And perhaps just see what difference it makes to read the Bible with those lenses in your eyes. So there's a little challenge. Um, Now, I think it would be appropriate if we just uh, had a moment of prayer before we sing our, our final song. Um, behold our God let me just lead us in a prayer of of worship to our God who is Father Son and Spirit our Lord God we are humbled that we can know you that you have revealed yourself to us you have shone a light into our world you have given us your word that means we can know you and as we know you and as we see who you are revealed to us in the scriptures as we read you revealing yourself as father son and spirit we we wonder and we worship you for all your goodness that you are a god of eternal love and you welcome us into that love you share that love with us we pray that as we think about these things this week and as we uh, look at this series over the next few weeks we pray it wouldn't be dry or academic but it will be something that is life-giving and and prompts us to wonder and worship, to marvel at you, that though we can't understand you perfectly, we can know you truly and that our hearts would, would wonder and worship that we get to know you as our God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.